0: little rattled, because my younger dog just jumped out of a moving car after a squirrel. Thankfully the truck was only moving about two miles an hour, but still, startling as hell. I've been reading this excellent book called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter, which is about all of the ways that we have made ourselves comfortable in the modern world that are actually detrimental to our health, both mental and physical. And it's gotten me thinking a lot about the discomforts that I embrace in my life and about discomfort in general, and I thought I'd talk about it today a little bit. The first thing that occurred to me is that there are certainly discomforts that are important to pay attention to and that are... that I use this phrase a lot, but that are canaries in the coal mine. So for instance, today I have uh, an achy ear that at first I thought was an earache and also a slight weird headache on one side of my head. But that I'm realizing is because I tried using a different um, set of headphones yesterday and they were a little too tight. And they pressed on my ears a little funny. I have a very big head. So I struggled to find headphones that fit me. And this one, I realized halfway through putting a, a hot pack on my ear that it wasn't an earache, that I had done nothing that would give me an ear infection recently swimming or anything like that. And that almost certainly this is what it was, was that yesterday I felt a little discomfort wearing these headphones. But I thought, eh, you know, it'll be fine. But this morning... This level of discomfort is telling me, oh yeah, don't do that again. That's stupid. There's the discomfort of feeling shitty because you aren't drinking enough water or feeling disoriented because you're out in the sun too long. And these are important signs to recognize and take note of and and act on. But then there's all the discomforts that if done mindfully, are are actually healthy for us. So yesterday I got back on the horse of running, which I hadn't done much of, except for some little calisthenic dog walks where we did some sprinting and jogging with the girls, and I didn't run the entire time. I did sort of interval training of some sprinting, some running, some weird running, various things. Uh, just trying to get into the, the pleasure of it again. But it was 88 degrees out and humid and I had sheets of sweat running down me and it was uncomfortable. But it was the right sort of uncomfortable. It wasn't a part of my body telling me that it was injured. It was almost, it was mental. And there's something that Mike Leister talks about. I'm not sure who, I can't remember who he's, exciting for this, but basically we're coming to recognize more and more that our limits are mental and not physical in many instances. And when we are trying to lift something heavy or move something heavy, it's often not that all of our muscle fibers are firing at any given time. They're almost never doing that. We're, We're recruiting a fraction of our muscles of the actual muscle fibers when we try and exert ourselves. But there is a, there's a mental, the sort of limit that we place on ourselves is a, how did I describe it? I think he described it as an emotional state. That emotionally we decide that we've reached our limit. And therefore we've reached our limit. And this is part of what training does is it helps you incrementally increase what you think your limit is, and whether that is because you've actually gotten stronger, or if it's largely, uh, you know, better sort of in-the-moment firing of your muscles, or if it's that your emotional state has... the the story you tell yourself about what you're capable of has changed. I'm sure it's all three of those things. So I started maybe three months ago doing kettlebell swings. I got a 42 pound kettlebell, which doesn't sound like much, but it's really heavy. Um, And when I got it, I was very enthusiastic and I immediately threw out my back (laughs) because I didn't understand the form well enough. And uh, and didn't understand sort of how carefully I needed to hold myself just when I'm carrying it around. And then once my back healed in a couple of weeks, uh, I found that I could barely do 20. And this morning I did 50. Now I'm sure I'm a little stronger in doing a certain set of core exercises and kettlebell swings a couple times a week for the last couple months, so I'm definitely stronger. But I've been deliberately walking myself up. And a big part of increasing the increment that you think is you're going to be your limit is that you're not increasing it so much that you think it's impossible. So I thought I was going to do 45 today, but because I'd gone up to from 35 to 40 last week. And then I thought today, you know, "Eh, maybe maybe I'll shoot for 45. and Then I hit 45 and I was feeling good, so I went to 50. So almost certainly an example of the mental component of this. Some of the other things that Michael Easter talks about in terms of the discomfort in our lives that are helpful are also things that I've been independently exploring, but I'm, I, I like the way he synthesizes it in this book. One that I'm reading about right now is essentially carrying heavy weights in the military community. This is called rucking, but you could just call it having a heavy backpack. Um throughout my childhood, I carried heavy backpacks. I walked to and from school mile with, you know, all the textbooks that that entailed. And I grew up in a family that backpacked quite a bit, so putting on a 50-60 pound pack and hiking all day didn't seem like that big a deal to me. And when I started walking to pick the girls up from school, last year I started bring, I, I finally bought myself a big enough backpack to carry all the sort of extra gear, if I'm the one carrying gear for the family, and I started bringing that with me, to bring snacks and layers and stuff in the wintertime, but I just bought myself a 20-pound metal plate to slip into the computer sleeve of it, and who knows, I might buy another one to We'll see if that's going to be enough weight. The point is that uh, I know I'm capable of carrying heavy loads. During the Christmas tree season, I routinely carry 50-pound bales of balsam greens down from the hillside on my back. And those are, um, that can be, it's like excellent training because the ground is uneven and the bale itself is, just balanced on the back of my neck, uh, you know, and held in place with my arms. But I am excited to increase the rigor of these walks with the girls, um, for myself. I don't feel like they need to be more than they are for the girls, but I think, uh, a simple way to increase my stamina And increase the bar on what I think is hard would be to make those walks harder. Certainly when I started out walking to meet them in January last year, it felt hard enough just doing the walk Um, because I would often do it, you know, I would always do it at the end of a work day and it's it's got some pretty steep stretches in it, particularly on the way, uh, well, both directions actually. It's got some steep stretches to it. And so, and on the way there, I might have to jog a little bit to make sure I arrived on time. But now it doesn't feel, well, now I'm a little intimidated by it again, because, um, because I haven't done it all summer, but I feel less intimidated about doing it that I can contemplate doing it with weight on my back also. And I think that's the logical next step, is to push myself to be stronger than I otherwise would be. Another discomfort Michael Easter talks about is hunger. In his case, he's splices throughout the book, the story of going on a month-long hunt in the Arctic for caribou, and how they just physically can't bring enough calories with them to eat enough. And so they have sort of long-term hunger throughout the trip, until they finally get a caribou. And Hunger is something that I started looking into or, or experiencing some of when I started intermittent fasting a couple of years ago. And I stopped intermittent fasting for the summer because it, I realized that the girls, when they were home with me and not on school schedule, were waiting to eat breakfast until I ate breakfast. And, that, and then that threw them off because I wasn't around giving them enough cues of like, let's eat. So it was better if I ate breakfast in the morning with them and that set them up for proper lunch and they just did better. I don't think kids need to fast. But certainly, intermittent fasting is good for me. And I remember how freaked out I was when I first started thinking about it and thinking, A, it was totally weird to decide to not eat a meal, or to eat a meal late. And B, I was really worried that I would become anorexic, as though it was a natural development from one to the other. And I don't think that that's true. I think anorexia comes from a a number of factors that I don't have in my personality. And so I don't need to worry about that, but it the whole idea freaked me out because our culture does not or certainly back then did not embrace this idea. But what I found when I started intermittent fasting was that here was another thing that I had thought was going to be too uncomfortable for me to withstand easily that it would be a trial. And that actually, once my body had gotten used to, uh, there's a, there's a brittleness that your body needs to lose and it needs to get better at essentially recruiting, uh, energy from stored fat rather than from food you've eaten. But once it sort of relearns how to do that, I found that I, had no problems um energetically with it and that again this discomfort had all sorts of benefits to me and also was making my body more resilient and less fragile so I'm trying to think if there's one more that he talks about. Well, certainly boredom. The discomfort of boredom is one that I actually, oh yeah, there's two more. One is boredom, and that I don't do enough with. I do think, for me, the time that I allow myself to be bored and my mind to wander is when I'm driving in the car, especially if I'm driving back road somewhere. I will tend not to listen to something, and just let my mind wander. But during the workday, I definitely listen to podcasts. Um, and to some extent, I think that's fine. I think I want my mind to remain engaged, but... Especially because I'm working by myself, but... There is something that you get from just being in the moment without anything in your ears. And when I do get that, I'm always surprised at what a what a flow state I can get into. But I do think that I can get into that, but then sometimes I do end the day feeling like, well, what did I think about today? And sometimes, I didn't think about much besides the work I was doing. And so depending on the work I'm doing and how much that has me thinking, um, sometimes it's good for me to have a podcast to rock out to. But boredom is definitely something I'll need to explore more. And then the final thing he talked about, or the the final thing I want to talk about that he talks about in the book, which again is The Comfort Crisis, I would highly recommend it, is... getting down on the floor, which is something that I've been doing more mindfully um, since reading the Alignment, the Alignment... What is it? The Align Method by Aaron Alexander, which is one of the the other books in the book club early this year. I think it was February or March was the book for February or March, and basically the idea is that it's so much better for your body to be in a bunch of different postures than just sitting on the couch. And I just went through a string of days where I was sitting on the couch pretty much still because I was dealing with all the labels and stuffing envelopes for the magazine and writing addresses. And I can tell you my back and my butt were, uh, sore in ways that they usually are not because often I'm standing up for much of the day and moving around. And it's a good reminder that, um, couches and other cushioned furniture just encourages us to sit still in a way that is not super helpful for our bodies. So last night I was reading about it and then I hopped down onto the floor and I recognized that all the different ways that you sit on the floor and shift your body around on the floor, act as stretches and almost subconsciously keeping your body limber. So I'd gone for this run. My my muscles were tightening up and being on the floor encouraged me to move around in a whole bunch of different ways that changed. Um, It was less comfortable than lying on the couch, but it left my body much more comfortable. So that's the trade-off, right? Is that you, you are trading off momentary discomfort. The discomfort of being in a stretch, for instance, where a muscle is being loosened. And you'll notice how um, children, I don't know if you notice this about children in your lives, but my daughters do not like to stretch or have a massage. It doesn't feel good to them. And I think part of it is that they don't need it, but part of it is also that they have not yet come to recognize that that momentary discomfort actually leads to greater comfort and relief from a different sort of pain. And so that's the trade-off with discomfort, right? Is that you are choosing to be uncomfortable in the moment in order to have a greater comfort in the rest of your life, but more broadly, but that requires you Come on, Maisie, hop up. Come on. That requires you to recognize and value The greater comfort that you get and, and to push back against all of the subconscious ways that we end up just following the the path of least resistance and, 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 and falling into the thing that is comfortable now, instead of choosing the thing that will give us the greatest comfort later on. Anyways, those are just some of the things that I'm doing now and some of the thoughts I'm thinking about. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and what you're doing. Um, because, again, all of these things that I'm doing now, the the walking to pick up the girls, the, the, the putting the weights in the backpack, the kettlebell, the core exercises, the being down on the floor, the intermittent fasting, these are all things that I had to encounter one by one by one. And I think... They are not things that our society necessarily fills you in on unless you encounter them through somebody. And and I'm keenly aware that there, there are always new things to think about and encounter and, and consider. Um, and it's a journey that I want to be on, and, and I think it's one that would benefit most of us. Thanks for listening. Talk tomorrow.